I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome to the Fried Egg Podcast. I'm Garrett Morrison, and today we're asking which players can the PGA Tour not afford to lose to Live Golf? The reason we're talking about this right now is that Live just wrapped up its first season last week and is already working hard to fill its 2023 roster. And so by the end of this year, it's likely that a few more top players will join the Saudi-backed Breakaway League. We're not here to tell you which guys those will be because, frankly, we don't know. But what we can do is discuss what it would mean if certain players left. That's the topic. Here to dig into it with me is Andy Johnson. Andy, how you doing? Garrett, I'm doing wonderful. I, uh, you know, this is a free agency period. I, uh, you know, there's no conditions with Liv and there's still so many unknowns without them doing like a real full season. But I do believe that there is a known that some big names are going to go to Liv in the coming weeks. And uh, that's what prompted me to write about this for the newsletter. And um, I think that it will be a a very, who knows, like depending on who goes, like what it looks like when the dust settles, you know, I saw Atul Kolsha said that they were, they were hoping to have their roster set by the end of the year. So, you know, if, if they're set, like who knows how the dust settles and what Kapalua looks like next, next year. And I, I don't know what to make of the claim that they'll have their roster set by the end of the year, because so far they haven't been that organized in signing players. Right. I mean, I, how do you think he was just like saying that to, you know, that's his, that's his wish that it, that will happen because that just struck me as like, if if they get to sign a big player in February, right before they start up again, then they're going to probably do that. Yeah. I think it's a lever, right? And I saw that they were, they were expanding roster sizes to 60 because they're, they're expand they're adding a like substitute player for every team so yes. that they'll have a fifth. Like I can't imagine that many teams are going to have a fifth player that just never plays that's a, a significant player, right? So those are going to be players that are probably Asian tour players and maybe what, some of them like uh you know, let's just use Shiwan Kim who played in all of them, right? Maybe he's one of those guys that if they have somebody that decides to come on February, you know, right before the first tournament of the year that he is knocked out and he pops in. All right. So basically what you were trying to do with this experiment was to not necessarily forecast who is going to go. I mean, there have been rumors, persistent rumors about certain players, but if if we found out anything in the past year, it's that if guys say that they're loyal to the PGA tour, then sometimes that means that they are. And sometimes that means nothing. And so we don't really know at this point, who's going. We've heard rumors about some players more than others. What you were really trying to do here was to talk about, you know, what impact certain player departures would have on the PGA tour, right? I mean, this is, you were trying to, I think you were trying to establish a sense of stakes. What is at stake 
in this offseason, basically, right? Yeah, and and really, I think this all hit us this year, and there was a flurry of people leaving, and you know, the idea of like who's really important, who's not, right? And there are a lot of ways that they could go about this. Like, I think the way Liv has obviously siphoned some big names that were really important to the PGA Tour. Um, Cameron Smith, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson. I mean, Phil Mickelson, he's not a great player at this point in his career, but he is one of the all-time great players on the PGA Tour, right? That is a significant loss. So when you think about it from a sense of like, Liv has already accumulated a substantial amount of talent. And right now, the PGA Tour's best defense, best, you know, selling point centers around they have more competitive talent than Liv. And that they also get OWGR points. That's Those are the two big selling <laughs> points, right? They have a pathway yes. into majors. They get OWG. They get world golf ranking points. And that they have the more competitive tour. And and they're on TV. They're on TV. That's uh, yeah. not insignificant either. The reality is is that a few of the wrong players go, and Liv might end up having the balance of we have a more competitive golf tour. You know, you can argue and quibble that the format will never be as competitive as the PGA Tour. That's fine. But if they hold more great players than the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour is in very very big trouble. So basically what you did is that you arranged players from the PGA Tour into tiers of importance, essentially. Tier one, these are the most important players whose departure would be a major blow to the PGA Tour. And then you go down to tier two, tier three, et cetera. Um, so why don't you explain your tier system a little bit? Uh, you know, Maybe I explained it all there, and then we can kind of go into tier one. Yeah, so tier one... You're talking like if one of these tier one guys goes, you're this is major, major news in all of sports. One of these guys going would signal some aspect of a shift of power, I would believe. And I, I don't know if it's necessarily out of the cards that one of these guys might go. That's that's the scary thing about this, you know, if you're a PGA Tour fan. Um, if one of these guys go combined with what they have already, you could, you know, you would be at the point of being like, you know, the talent's pretty similar tier two. These are big names for, you know, people that follow golf regularly. These are really, really big names. These are not the names that like your friend that just casually tunes in at majors might not be like super intimate with, but these are huge names in the world of golf and listen, like one of these guys going, isn't a big deal, but a few of them that starts to cause a problem. Tier three are, these are guys that are really good players. These are probably bottom end of the roster internet, like, you know, bottom of the roster rider cuppers and just not necessarily established stars yet, but players that are very, very good. And like, you know, I think like at this this is the stage these types of players are kind of what give the tour a really big advantage. So these are important players, but they are not like huge names. And a lot of these players are on their way up or on their way down. Yes. Have had great careers or and are kind of on the downslope there or are potentially building towards really great careers. 
And then tier four is just like, these are really good players. They're good golfers. They are guys that could win in a given week. They are names that fans recognize. They have a lot of them have been doing it for a long time or they are on the up and up. Um, but at the same time, you know, if they go to live, people are going to be like, people are pretty much going to be like, who cares if they go to live? But I think the bigger impact, and you've started to see it with tour events, is the non, you know, this year will be the elevated series of events. What you see is live's impact on the tour, I think, is really felt on their B and C tournaments and even down to D tournaments is that when you lose Abe Answer, when you lose Kokrak, when you lose Sergio, you lose players like that. All of a sudden, tournaments like Valero, all of a sudden, their fields look really weak. And so these these players, like, while they aren't, and they're easy to make fun of when they go. Like, it's like, oh, who cares yeah, about that? Who cares? That? Yeah. But it's it's like death by a thousand cuts. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And like a good example would be like, you know, Charles Howell is a great example of a guy like this. Like, do <laughs> I care if Charles Howell's in an event? No. But at the same time, this is a guy that's played on tour for 25 years. People know who he is, right? And that's what this 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 list of players is. It's like, you know, in this group, you have like Kevin Kisner, right? This is tier four. Yeah, tier four. Kevin Kisner is a, a very, very good player. Um, he can win a lot of different tournaments, um, you know, most of them on shorter golf courses. And, you know, the, he's got a group of like he's got like a following. I know like Riggs at Barstool loves Kevin Kisner. So he's got like a fan following. But like if he goes to live, nobody nobody's going to be like, oh, what is the tour going to do? Because Kevin Kisner's not around. But then like you start to like when Kevin Kisner's not around, when you get some of those smaller events, like particularly at Kevin Kisner, if it's a small event on a course that's Bermuda grass, you know, then you're like, wait, Kevin Kisner would have been on this leaderboard, you know, and he's not. So, yeah. you know, in that in that group, I guess we could start at the bottom. Um, I don't know. And where work you our want. way up. I yeah. think that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, I had like Kisner, Tyrrell Hatton, who Tyrrell Hatton like is a bigger name player. I just I, I haven't ever seen him do it. He, I, he's obviously played well in certain things. He hasn't played well in majors. And I just don't think he's that big of a loss. Maybe he's bigger in the UK. Yeah. I don't really know. I'm not sure that there's like a huge Tyrrell Hatton fan base. But then again, I'm an American. So he seems go. to be like kind of a guy that would profile for live. I'm shocked that he's not there already. <laughs> like, can't believe that Tyrrell Hatton is not currently a live player. Like there is like a profile of 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 live players. Yes, especially the British guys. Yeah. You know, that whole cabal of Poulter and, and Horsefield and Westwood and all those guys. It seems like Hatton kind of fits in with them, but maybe that's just judging from afar. I, I don't know. If I've he's heard he's a delightful guy. He's like a delightful guy. He has his on-course demeanor and everything, but I have heard from people like he's su super aware. Um, you know, there's something about like people that don't feel embraced by golf's I guess powers that be. I think that is a profile case like for live players. Patrick Reed being the most extreme example of that. Bryson and Bryson DeChambeau. And I think Brooks even as much as he would hate to be thrown into a bucket with <laughs> but like I think Brooks has some of that same energy. Uh-huh. I agree.
like yeah, chip on his shoulder. Me. Yeah, uh, everybody's against me. Like there is like an an aspect of that. Like I think I don't I like comparing Harold Varner with those, but like Harold Varner would be one that I think would fall into like a similar bucket, right? Uh, much more likable. Yeah, much way <laughs> but, more likable. But but, uh, but similar in what you're, yeah, the the structure that you're talking about. Why, why don't we actually lay out some of the players that you yeah, named in, in tier four? So Sepp Straka, Seamus Power, who just won another meaningless event on the PGA Tour. I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, it does. Sorry, nothing. Bermuda. Yeah. Um, Corey <laughs> Connors. You know, some, I, I originally had... A category that I said, like, maybe maybe the tour wants him gone and Corey Connors was on it so that he'd never play on a President's Cup team again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Trevor Immelman request. Thomas Peters, K.H. Lee, Aaron Wise, who I think will have a big year this year. Sahith Thagala and Davis Riley, like... You know, those last three are really guys that I think could have really big years and work their way up into the next year. But right now, like, you know, if Davis Riley goes, everybody will kind of be like, oh, what could have been, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think his year and and the year Cameron Young put together, like, I don't think Davis Riley was that far away from having a, a Cameron Young type season last year. He was super close to have like is Cameron Young in a way overshadows how good of a year Davis Riley had. Davis Riley's numbers are great. Aaron Wise had a really solid statistical season last year and seems to have figured out some things with putting, which has been the thing that has held him back. He's a great driver of the golf ball, has won a couple of times, but has stayed kind of under the radar. Thomas Peters is kind of the outlier for me in this group. Is he really a PGA Tour player? I don't know. I mean, he's good. I, I I always have a you know I I try and loop a line I in whenever I can. You know, as, <laughs> okay, yeah, no, that's that's valid. There, okay. There's a bias. I I like. To I'm surprised abide. that Thomas Dietrich wasn't here. I almost put him in. He's got off to a great. Start. <laughs> He's really good. Yeah, he could have a great season, Thomas Dietrich. Yeah, yeah, he could. So you know, that's that might be a little bit of line eye bias, but he could also. He was a name that was rumored in the uh, in the Guardian article by Ewan Murray. Yeah, that's right. You and Murray, I mean, the phrasing in that sentence, I actually pulled this out because it struck me as strange. I was like, this could be anything. But the fact that it's appearing in a reputable publication is is giving me pause and making me think that there might be some sourcing here. But the way Murray put it in that article is that speculation in Miami has linked Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schauffele, Mito Pereira, and Thomas Peters with Liv. And all of those names, aside from Peters' name, have been ones that I've heard before, obviously, but um, that is what that article said. And so, yeah, kind of a bummer to see Peters' name show up. But again, he fits kind of a profile, right? Yeah. He would slot right in with uh, Martin Keimer's team or something. Yeah, and and I think I I mistake not having a uh, Mito in this tier. Also. Oh yeah, he fits there, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, you put uh, in your article in the newsletter, you put etc. <laughs> yeah. At the end uh, of this list, there are more guys in this list than we just mentioned. You could put a number of players in there. So, that gives you the idea of that type of profile. And like again, those guys going, it's just it's another cut. You know, it's just another wound to the PGA Tour. Because that's that's really like I think this is those are the type of players that would profile like your you know Kevin Na Jason Kokrax you know they are you know Charles Howell to extent I don't think Charles Howell was ever that great of a player but 
you know, Taylor Gooch would be a, a good comp in there. Like where Taylor Gooch is, is a really good player, but nobody really cares about Taylor Gooch at this point. Maybe Abe answer. Yeah. Right? I think he, Abe, he would be verging on tier three. Yeah. Cause he's that good. But, uh, but he isn't a player that people were necessarily fascinated by before he left for live. All right. So tier three, moving on tier three. I had Tom Kim and Sung JM in here. Obviously, South Korean stars, young guys, you know, everybody saw him at the President's Cup and they've seen, you know, Tom Kim win a couple events. He's 19. Sung JM has factored in major championships, has won, um, has been one of the most consistent players on the PGA Tour. Uh, those guys are are in here. Um, up and comers. Tony Finau is is here. I think Tom, he, Tom Kim fact check real quick, uh, real quick. He's 20. 20. He's 20 now. He turned 20 in, in, in June, but the, the message is that he's young and also, uh, tremendously, uh, appealing, um, as, as he's shown in, in the past few months or so. I think something that like, just while we're on the young thing and Cameron Young's the next name, but one of the things that's working against the PGA tour is the fact that the tour has gotten so young that youth talent is is dominating the PGA Tour, I believe works against the Tour because there's less loyalty to the PGA Tour. And guys are just sort of cycling in and cycling out. They see that their peak, the peak of their careers might be a little bit shorter. I'm sure that they have noticed this, right? That not many players are sticking around for 10, 15 years at the top of the game. So a lot of these young players might come in with the understandable attitude that I better get mine before, you know, the opportunity kind of slips away. I mean, Cameron Young's comments were, you know, his live comments were really something where he effectively, I don't have the quotes in front of me, but it effectively was like, you know, I wish I was more established. Yeah. Well, he was basically admitting, yeah, I heavily considered it. Yeah. You know, I, I I was almost there, but a couple of factors held me back. So it's it's just interesting. Cameron Young, I have Max Homa in here. Shane Lowry, obviously a major winner. Any major winner is a big deal. Uh, Max Homa's won a bunch of tournaments. He's he's obviously very popular player social media wise. Uh, and then I have Adam Scott, Justin Rose, and Billy Horschel, older guys. I've just been around for a while. I don't, I don't, Billy could go into tier four. I, I just, <laughs> you know, he was kind of more of a, a humorous uh, inclusion yeah. here. And because he, he is the tour spokesman. <laughs> yeah. That was part of your rationale. <laughs> I was, I was wondering, you know, who would be out there, you know, just saying the most absurd things if, if Billy's not doing it. Yeah. The guys in the media center would be the saddest of all if Billy went to live. You know, they would they would really miss just having an automatic quote. <laughs> and and by the way, this is something about Billy Horschel that I really appreciate because he's gotten popped a couple of times for things that he's said, but he keeps coming back. You know, the guy still makes himself available. There are a lot of players who have been really sensitive about the reception of things that they've told reporters. Billy Horschel keeps keeps coming back and keeps giving quotes, keeps interacting with the press, and I appreciate that so much about him. Yeah, I've really turned a corner on Billy. He's, he's yeah, just, I know you've you've mentioned this before. So he's uh, he's he's just a uh, he's a one of one, which which I appreciate. But I think like Adam Scott and Justin Rose, like 
you know, Adam Scott is an interesting one because like you, you obviously see the Australian team there. He's said nice things about live. He's also said nice things about the tour, you know, but like that's one where I feel like one day you could hear information that he's going one day. You could say he's committed. It wouldn't surprise me if he goes. Now here's why I think that Adam Scott might belong in tier two. For one thing, he's obviously a legend, you know, Adam Scott is by far the most legendary player in this tier, but you have him in this tier because his playing ability is not what it once was. He's, he's on the downslope of his career. But if he were to jump to live, I think that there are a lot of younger players who really respect and admire Adam Scott and that his moving would be an influential thing for them. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, like, I think like the Phil, there was a lot of negativity with Phil in the tour. And he kind of, one of the mistakes that Phil made was airing his dirty laundry with the tour. His leaving would have had such a bigger impact had he just left and he had been quiet about his issues with the tour. Because it would have been like, whoa, wait a second. This guy who's like the tour has given so much to by making all of his grievances so public in a way now that I, when you bring up that point, like Adam Scott, who's been very politically like, you know, neutral in the thing, but you know, also like has been like a, a stand up tour player for a long time going would have a massive impact. Yeah. And people love him. I, I think that Phil, a lot of players loved Phil <laughs> and, and he gave them a reason to sort of, make a break from him. Um, but I think that Phil was always sort of a polarizing figure in the locker room. Adam Scott is somebody that you never hear anybody say bad things about. And so I think that, uh, yeah, that, that would be impactful. The other one that people might point to in this tier and say that he could be higher is Max Homa, partly just because of his social media profile. Um, and I'm not saying that that's a shallow thing about him. He, he has this kind of, genuineness on on social media and in his interactions with uh, fans and and media people uh but uh he has become one of the more important voices modern voices in the game and very loyal to the tour right which is which makes it this discussion almost moot yeah he's been so loyal that i i don't think this needs to be talked about a lot but he's won a ton i mean if you look at pga tour wins over the last whatever eighteen months, eighteen or, months, he's yeah. up at yeah, he's up at the top, and uh, and you know, I think for from Max's standpoint, for me, like I I just like to see it at bigger events a little bit more. Um, an important part of this is your stardom uh, off the course. Your name recognition is very important, but as you know, from the competitiveness of the tour, it's important for you to be a like a very good player. And I don't think like I can't put. I can't put Max up with with some other guys that are in tier two that have like done it at the biggest stages. Like, you know, like comparing Max, putting Max in the same tier as Will Zell Torres, who's literally been like a ball hanging on a lip here and there away from two majors, you know, this mm-hmm. year. Winning the Safeway back to back is great, but like that seeing you duke it out and, and like close at a major championship, that's a little bit different. 
This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast is brought to you by the Fried Egg Pro Shop. It's at proshop.thefriedegg.com. And we've got a bunch of cool stuff in there right now. We're kind of stocking up for the holidays and the winter season. So Andy, what is some of the latest merchandise that people should be aware of in our pro shop? Yeah, you know, I've got a lot of uh, feedback from some friends on our hoodies. They love those. I've gotten multiple texts. There's my whole college friend's uh, text chain has been talking about the fried egg hoodies. So that's the one I would check out. Uh, We've got them in all sizes, uh, a couple different styles, too. So go to theproshop.thefriedegg.com. It's a good time of year for hoodies. Uh, And these are pretty versatile. You can wear them in a lot of different uh, activities. So I would uh, I'd check that out, proshop.thefriedag.com. And uh, thank you for the support. All right. Well, that brings us to tier two. So who's yeah. in there aside from Zalaport? So again, you know, any of these players, what I wrote, any of these players would be an enormous loss for the tour, but a survivable one as long as it's not a mass exodus. So these names in a vacuum are very big names. But if three or four of these guys go, that's that's a huge problem for the tour, right? Um, so Scotty Scheffler, this one, he's right on the verge of, of tier one. I just would like to see one more year. I think like I the fact that he got off to that such a hot start this year and didn't like the idea of and the only reason he's not in tier one is the idea of anybody being number one in the world at the end of the year in May was unfathomable anybody anybody else anybody but Scheffler yeah and the fact that he's not number one in the world like he his play didn't slip off that much but it it kind of like his play regressed a little bit back to like what he was before that really hot run so Uh that's just my my I don't have like I'm this is not Scotty Scheffler hate me like I just like to see guys do it for a little bit longer than a year I actually agree with this I think that he needs to have another burst like he had when he was just winning everything because he has tailed off a little bit toward the end of this year. And, you know, the, the names that are above him in tier one have just done it for a little bit longer. Why don't we run through the rest of the names in this list okay? and then come back to a couple of particular ones? Cause I think that there are a- at least a couple here that we can discuss a little more in depth. All right. Jordan Spieth, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, Zalatoris, Matt Fitzpatrick, Victor Hovland, and Sam Burns. Why don't we start with Sam Burns? Because that's the odd one for me. I'm, I'm like, how, how is he not a tier three player? I'm willing to be convinced, though, because obviously he's very, very good at golf. He's won a lot. And he projects. He, he hasn't win. won massive events, though, has he? He's, he's won like two Valspars. What else has he won? I think he, he's won. Let's see. I got pulled up here. But he's won. Two Valspars. He's won Charles Schwab. He's won Sanderson. Well, <laughs> yeah, not, not big. <laughs> so some people think that Sanderson is uh, is a really significant win, and uh, all respect so, to those people. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I I think like I guess yeah, if you were going to call into question one one guy here, I I I could see Burns being it. I think he's really good. I think he's also like he would be a name that that would profile to me as like of I, I know he's really good friends with Scheffler, which is like probably one of the things that would sway him back. But like, and I think like, I think there's an agency connection to somebody else that went to the, to live. He's, he's, he's got the same agent as Bryson. Yeah. That's GSE worldwide. So he, uh, he'd be one 
just to keep an eye on. But like I, I agree. He'd be on. He's on the fringe. He's the last name in tier two. Yeah, he's down there for a reason. All right. Well, why don't we talk about then Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley because you know these two guys are buddies. I think they have similar profiles in terms of their careers and their abilities. Like they're kind of in a similar spot, except that obviously Shoffley has had more success in majors to this point. And of course, both of them have been rumored to be very, very interested in going to live. From what I've gathered, they have a, a they each have individual offers and they have an offer that's bigger if they come together, where they would each get more money if they come together. Wow. So, you know, I was putting vacation buddies together. Um, if these two guys go together and like nobody else goes in, in this tier, it's a big blow to the PGA Tour because half the top six in the world are then live players. And that doesn't include Dustin Johnson, who is probably a top 10 player in the world. I think it's a big blow to the Ryder Cup, too, because these two guys are among the very, very best American players. And if they both go, all of a sudden that Ryder Cup roster starts to look a lot thinner in in the in the way that the Team Europe roster has started to look. Uh, Kevin Kisner might move up a tier then. <laughs> yeah, he might he might prove himself to be a great match play player after all. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Cantley and Shoffley, if they leave, right? Uh, the, the way that I'm hearing you talk about it is that this is not the apocalypse. This is a really big blow, but it's not the biggest deal of any player. And so, what prevents Cantley and Shoffley both leaving from being as big of a deal as like just Colin Morikawa or John Rahm alone leaving. The way the PGA Tour model works, the players that are uber value valuable for the PGA Tour are the ones that are around for a long time. They are Rory McIlroy, where you are a relevant player for decades. Tiger Woods would fall into this bucket. Jim Furyk, Phil Mickelson, Ernie Els. These types of players, even like, you know, Steve Stricker was a very valuable player. Davis Love III, you know, these types of players who are around for long times and are are like, you know, it's weird, but like Ryder Cup figureheads, the tour doesn't own the Ryder Cup. They have nothing to do with the Ryder Cup. But like those players that like, oh, these are Ryder Cup, like, you know, every year automatically locked in Ryder Cup players. And when I think about, those players, when you lose those, Dustin Johnson was one of those players. Phil Mickelson was one of those players. Cameron Smith was probably becoming one of those players. You know, I think Bryson, from a popularity standpoint, was one of those players. But like these are the players that that shift power. And at this point, the lines have been drawn. And when one of those big players goes, that is so much more now than it was at the beginning. Because the lines have been drawn, Tiger and Rory are on this side, and you're with them, or you're over there, and you're with them. And like at this point, to me, a massive name defection signals potentially who's going to win long term. And you don't think that a Cantlay Shoffley defection would be that kind of indicator? No majors, no players, no majors. In 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 Cantlay's case, not really. All that close, and also not a whole lot of personality. mainstream or casual appeal because of the dial tone personalities. I think that's more true of Cantley than it is of Shoffley, 
but neither has really shown that much in terms of the next level of marketability. Yeah, and and they they like I think it's important too like who's the most popular player of a country? Like they aren't ever going to be America's most popular player. They aren't really going to be super close. You don't see a scenario where they ever could be or I don't. Like I I could not fathom them overtaking Justin Thomas or Colin Morikawa from these the similar age bucket in popularity. So I think that's the big thing. But like, I think the two of them together though is, is a big deal. Like I would say just a, you know, hypothetical, say one big guy goes one of the tier one tier one is Rory Hideki, John Rahm, Justin Thomas and Morikawa tigers obviously in that. You know, really, Tiger and Rory are almost in their own tier. But, you know, for the matters, Tiger is not playing golf. So, you know, he's not going to go play a live schedule. He, he's like uh, he, he's like the captain of the PGA Tour side at this point. Yeah. So if one of those guys goes, plus Xander and Morikow, or Xander and, and Cantlay, how would you feel? I would not feel good. And, you know, Cantley and Shoffley, the significance there is if they're not playing in regular PGA Tour events and instead are playing in regular live events, then the competitive weight of the PGA Tour looks significantly lighter. And as he said at the beginning, that's one of the main things the PGA Tour has going for it right now is that competitively, it is clearly superior. It is where you go if you want good golf competition outside of the majors. And if Cantley and Shoffley go all of a sudden that that's really a lot weaker because these guys are so, so good at golf. And so, you know, if they're on a different tour, then it just feels a lot less like the PGA tour has the advantage that it has right now. Yeah. Those two guys, like I, you know, they're verging at this point on three or four, probably this will probably be about the fourth consecutive year that they both have been, like just at week in week out top 10 players in the world. And like the, the consistency to stay at that echelon of golf is very difficult. Their personalities aren't great. Some of them, you know, you might want Xander win more. You might want Patrick Cantley to do more in majors, but the, the week, the week to week consistency to be top 10 player in the world for three or four plus years where you don't really leave that top 10 is pretty extraordinary given the depth of golf in this, this current period. All right. So you have Jordan Spieth in <laughs> tier two. <laughs> now you just read off the tier one players and you know, clearly all of those players belong in tier one. We can get to them in a second, but explain yourself. Is, is this, is this just you doubling down on your shotgun start take that Jordan Spieth is just another another guy. I, is this is, is this is this just that kind of? I is never this an said he's just another that? guy. This is I'm not saying that he's like Kelly Craft. <laughs> he's won two events, two small events in the last five years. I would say two mid tier events, but I, I'm not going to litigate that. I, I I agree with I agree with that assessment. I think on in PGA Tour events, regular PGA Tour events in the past five years. If you just say 2017, we're going to disregard everything before that. It's 2018 forward. For the past five years in regular PGA Tour events, I think one of the best comps for where Jordan Spieth has been 
is Billy Horschel. He's won yeah. a couple of times. He's had kind of similar strokes gained total performances. He's been in a similar place in the FedEx Cup. If anything, Billy Horschel has been slightly more consistent. So I'm not going to dispute that. But in majors, Jordan Spieth has still been racking up top threes, runner-ups, top tens, you know, whereas Billy Horschel is nowhere near that. He's only had one real shot to win a major, and that was at St. George's. Okay, but but I mean, those results in majors still mean something. He is a relevant player on Sunday in those tournaments. The best case for Jordan Spieth being tier one is that I've been told by a network a person that's very intimate with network ratings, like m- might work at a network, told me there are two two players outside of Tiger who make a difference in week to week ratings if they're in the hunt. It is it is Rory and Jordan Spieth. Those are the two players that will make a a a noticeable impact on the tournament's ratings if they are in the mix on the weekend. So that's the biggest thing. I. He might be the most popular non-Tiger Woods American player. I think he definitely is. He definitely is. The guy who won three majors <laughs> before yeah, th- he was 25. Three, major, I mean, three majors that none of the young kids have even seen. Yeah, but I, I think that's, that, that wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago that Jordan Spieth was the best player in the world. I think that that... The, ten, the ten-year-old fan doesn't even know. Doesn't even know what he's done. <laughs> they think he's just another guy. We're talking about guy. the ten-year-old fan now. That's that's the relevant reference point for who's big. Um, all right. Well, here the thing is, I didn't like, even have Ricky in here. We could have put him and Ricky true. in the same bucket. Where's Ricky? Oh my gosh, that is amazing that you didn't include Ricky. No, I'm 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 not gonna I'm not gonna Ricky, go to bat. Ricky, for that one. I think Ricky would be tier three. Yeah, I think he's kind of in the in a similar boat as uh, like Justin Rose. You know, yeah. Justin Rose has, has won a major and has had. Uh, I'm not comparing the careers or the resumes, but obviously Ricky is is recognizable in a way that uh, a lot of players aren't. So, uh, the, what you just said about Jordan Spieth is my main argument for inclusion in Tier One. Just the fact that he is the most exciting player in the world when he's playing well, when he is absolutely on fire. There's nobody, you know, aside from Tiger Woods, who's not currently playing golf right now, really. There's nobody who's more exciting to watch than Jordan Spieth. And so losing that potential, I'm not saying that losing his week to week performance for the past five years, which has been, you know, exactly what you have been saying. I'm not saying that that's the significant part here. The significant thing in losing Jordan Spieth would be the potential that he would show up at a Genesis Invitational and just be a fireball for the entire week and have it be the most fun non-major event of the year to watch. And that is Jordan Spieth's capacity. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree. I think like, so if, if you want to put Spieth in the top tier, we can do that. Hey, that's fine. Yeah. We, we, we can, we can disagree about that. I, I, I actually, I, you can your put general Spieth take, I don't disagree as severely with it as a lot of people do <laughs> i would mostly defend you on that one but uh but in this particular case i think he slips into tier one now tier one if you look at those players all of these players have been in better form recently than jordan spieth hideki you know m- maybe maybe not he won the masters recently that's the main thing but hideki obviously is incredibly important in the sense that you know he is a national icon in his home country and so is that the primary reason that Hideki's there? It's a golf crazed home country that 
you I think it would transform Liv's business if 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 Hideki is became a live player and they could center a team around them with their franchise com, com their their franchise system where they want to sell these franchises that's where Hideki becomes super valuable because of the ability to sell Hideki's franchise to a Japanese company that would pay very top dollar for it I think when you go down this list there are players that have said very little if you, especially if you include Spieth there are players that have said very little about it yes there are, there are players that have been very outspoken about it and you've got Rory and Justin Thomas in the outspoken category you've got Hideki who's pledged his support for the PGA Tour but has kind of seemingly been a rumor and then you've got John Rahm who's kind of like been on both sides of the fence in the he's, last he's the man in the middle right now John Rahm I, I want to talk about him a little more one thing I we should mention is that Hideki you know if if uh, everything that we heard behind the scenes was true almost went earlier this year and that was a major fork in the road moment and he chose not to and that was a big big deal for this balance of power between the PGA Tour and Live. But there was definitely a moment a few months ago when word was Hideki's gone. But John Rahm is so interesting, isn't he? Because he has said, I pledge my fealty to the PGA Tour. That's literally what he said at, at the Genesis this past year when it all blew up. And and at the US Open or wherever it was, he talked about how is that competition? 54 holes. He He went on that kind of rant which was a very you know pga tour take so he has been loyal in rhetoric and in action to the pga tour and i believe him i i don't think that john rom is is full of it in the way that i think that some other guys are full of it at the same time he has been one of the players who has said let's not make this bitter let's not make this personal i still want my european friends on the Ryder cup team with me and uh, and has really positioned himself that way, kind of as a mediator between the two sides. And so my question is, what do you think John Rahm wants? Like, what does he want? Does he want the PGA Tour to have to like make a deal with Liv? I don't know. That's a good question. I like I think a, a lot about if the tour had taken a little bit different path of um, of fighting, if it hadn't have been ban centric off the bat where we'd be now part of me think part of me wants to believe that they might be in a better place without these bands and and really like stooping to live's level you know in a way they they handled themselves where they they created this like very charged situation you know live was going to attempt to do this you know and by by doing bands and really getting in the mud with live they have put themselves in a position where they you know they've drawn a hard line and it and it creates sides and that's the dangerous thing right is like it's 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 become a you're either with us or you're with them situation which is like you know this is not a black and white situation right i think rom sympathizes with players like eugenio chichara yes that's a young Spanish player who Rom clearly knows well 
And like, what what do you do when you're 21 and you're offered, you know, eight million dollars or whatever he got? What do you do? Ron, I think Rom wants to have a relationship with him, wants to be a mentor to him, and I think that maybe Rom is objecting to this idea that he that he shouldn't do that or that he can't do that now that there are these two leagues. But going back to the question, for me, I mean, I sympathize with the people who made that decision, specifically Jay Monahan at that moment, because it was such a hard decision to make, in my opinion. Because if you don't ban players, if you kind of make it easy for the guys who are live curious to just go over, try it, and maybe drop in on PGA Tour events every once in a while, how many more players would have already done that? Would Colin Morikawa have done it? Would John Rahm have done it? I don't know. I, I, I think it's a really hard decision and, and things would have played out far differently in either one. The, the, I guess the question centers around the confidence in what you have. You know, if, if you've got real confidence in what you have, like if you say we're not banning you, but you need to play your 15, your minimum events to be a member. Then, then all of a sudden players might be pushing back on live and saying, Hey, I can't sign a contract to play 12 events because it's important for me to be a PGA Tour member. And then all of a sudden, you're actually like throwing wrenches in their system. I think that that's an interesting option that's not discussed enough when we bring up this topic is the PGA Tour saying, yeah, you can you can play some of these events according to the rules that we've set up before. We're not going to do the ban thing. You play 15 PGA Tour events, we're good. And then what would happen? I, I wonder. Yeah, I, that, that is an interesting hypothetical to think about. Who would have left and committed fully to live? I don't really know. Because no, none of these guys want to play 30 events unless they're Patrick Reed, you know? And if you don't play 15 events, you can't play the players. You can't play the FedEx Cup playoffs, which uh-huh. a lot of these guys would want to play. You know, that's... That's the thing. They could have done something. They could have done small little tweaks. It's almost like the the t- tactical undercover missions versus going dr- going full out war. All right. Why don't we get back to tier one real quick and kind of close this out by talking about potential players who could go. JT never going. <laughs> right. He's too. He's too. He's too loyal to Rory and especially to to Tiger Woods and Rory and Tiger. Are, are pretty locked in on their new vision for how the PGA Tour is going to be. Um, Morikawa. Morikawa is a possibility. I mean, he has said some things about his feelings about Liv that have given me pause in the past. And so it seems like he could be a major domino that could realistically fall. Yeah, I I agree with your assessment. He's one of the guys where you haven't, you know, anybody that hasn't been like extremely outspoken about the subject matter, I would, I would put into the bucket of like, it has is weighing their options. I think the, was it the New Yorker piece that uh, talked about how every player 
has an offer and has considered it like effectively, like the the lines of like everybody has an offer, everybody's. No, there was like a little saying uh, that that uh, Zach Halfand uh, uh, cited about you know there are three types of players on the yes. PGA Tour, you know, um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if that was accurate, but that is what people sort how how people have sort of assessed the situation, even the players who have you know come out in support of the PGA Tour have an offer on the table and are looking at that money and kind of, you know, I wonder what it would be like to, to take that money. Yeah. And I think the thing, one of the big things with uh, Morikawa is the agency. He's, he's, he's in the, um, in the Steinberg agency, XL, which is Tiger's agency, same as JT and, and Morikawa is in there too. So that's like one, I would say one big detractor. Like, I think that, that's like an underrated aspect of this whole thing is agencies and the agents who obviously get a cut of all that revenue. <laughs> so, there are some agents who have leapt really, really quickly at that cut. And, yeah. uh, and we know who you are, guys. But Morikawa is somebody who's going to be, I think, even if he might be considering a jump, even if he might be keeping his options open, he's going to be somebody who's like hooked in with whatever this – you know, new set of Rory Tiger ventures is going to be probably right. Yeah. You know, the, the TV show next year, that's going to be on the launch monitor. I don't know how to describe it exactly, but, uh, the, the, the thing that, uh, Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods are working on as a TV product, it would be shocking if Colin Morikawa weren't a big part of that. Right. Yeah. I, that's the thing. I think that one of the evolutions of the tour that has been smart is is this like the Rory Tiger brainchild with this tomorrow it is going to give players the opportunity to make more money and and it's in a different way but you know a door that is only open to you via the the tour you know yes. i can't imagine any live players will be teeing it up in that <laughs> Bry- bryson is not going to be involved i would assume uh even if he might really really want to be and then, I mean, Spieth has not said anything about Liv outside of the one tweet, which was, you know, ironically, right after he was rumored, it was tweeted out right before a major championship. In a way, it, it felt like, don't dare, don't you dare ask me about this next week before a major. <laughs> but that's all we've heard from him, really. Yeah, you know, there there's a set of players, of elite players who are currently on the PGA Tour where... If the power kind of shifts toward live and enough guys go, you know they're gone. That that's the path to success for live. Now, for me, and and this is you know maybe a question we can wrap up on because it's it's a big picture question. For me, over the course of the past few months, live's path to domination in the golf world has gotten narrower, as far as I can see. Because a few key things have not happened for Liv yet. The TV deal is still up in the air. And the OWGR factor seems not to really be coming together. And Hideki didn't leave. A few other players who seemed like they might leave didn't. And so, you know, a few months ago, I was leaning towards like, you know, I think that this is this is going to be really successful and that the golf world is never going to be the same. Now I could almost be convinced that within a few years, live is just going to kind of go away and the Saudis will get interested in, in funding something else. 
I think the pathway into the majors is the most important thing. I don't think the world rankings are very important. The the only reason I bring up the world rankings is that they're still important insofar as they are a path into certain majors. The quali- qualificate it shouldn't be it's no longer about OWGR in my opinion. It is about qualification for major championships. Yes. And I think that we are going to see before we see the OWGR bend because anybody without anybody should be able to look at the OWGR situation and admit that there is considerable bias in the OWGR board. Well, yeah, I mean, because they're affiliated with certain tours. I think it's more likely that there will be exemption categories in new majors for live players sooner than there will be an OWGR change with live being accredited. Yes. Well, I mean, even if the OWGR board decided that they were open to giving live points, it wouldn't happen for a while <laughs> under the current rules. And so well, and they would you know, all the players would tank and then their yeah. points would be irrelevant. Yeah. And so the, the yeah, the big uh, the decision is going to be made by Augusta National. It's going to be made by the USGA. It's going to be made by the RNA. And, you know, the PGA Championship currently doesn't use OWGR, I don't think. They use PGA Tour qualification. Yeah. So that's its own sort of interesting little side note in this discussion. Here's but, the question. Is the OWGR dead already? <laughs> I think that's a total exaggeration. No, but like realistically, what chance does Dustin Johnson have of being a top 10 player in the world rankings ever again? Well, I, I don't think anybody's all that concerned about that because Dustin Johnson is in the you know fourth act, fifth act of his career right now. I think that that question is going to be a huge one for Cameron Smith, yeah. who by all rights should be a top three player in the world. And if a couple of years go by here and you know say he does still does well in the majors, but he doesn't have enough OWGR points to stay in the top 10 or the top 20, then it starts to get a little bit ridiculous. But I, I think this is something where, you know, a couple of years down the line, then we'll be able to see um, what the what the effects will be. But yeah, I mean, you're right that if the majors decide to make a move to bring Liv into the fold, there's really nothing that the OWGR can do and no more leverage that the OWGR has over the golf world. So we'll see. All right. So we kind of wandered into some interesting territory there, but I hope it was informative about what to expect, what to look for out of the next few months uh, when it comes to live golf. We're not going to talk about live every week, especially during the off season, but uh, we thought we'd do a little bit up front so that you can kind of be prepared for what's likely to be news, at least on occasion, as we approach the finish line of 2022. All right. Thanks, Andy. This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast was edited by Meg Atkins. To support the Fried Egg, a great thing that you can do is go to thefriedegg.com and subscribe to our newsletter. That's where Andy's piece about the potential defections to live first appeared. Uh, It comes to your inbox three times a week, and we think it's a, a really good product. But of course, we're biased, and so you have to determine that for yourself. And the best way to do that is to subscribe. So thefriedegg.com, subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week.